Welcome home. This is Audio XP for the 2nd of November 2019, and the title of this episode is Drive Through RPG's Hacker Attack and the Slaughter Bots. We've just had Halloween, and the weekend is shaping up to be as busy as the week. It feels like there's no shortage of stories to touch on on this highlight show and recap from Geek Native. Raw20 have released their latest games played data, and at the end of this podcast, We'll look at which game seems to have doubled their share of attention, and which one is surprisingly low. First though, I wanted to talk about the hacker attack on DriveThruRPG. DriveThruRPG's security is intact, and no hacker has broken into their database, but you should probably change your password anyway. If you're using the same username and password combination on DriveThruRPG that you're using anywhere else, then you should absolutely change your password. That's the problem. A hacker used an army of zombie machines to bombard DriveThruRPG's system with username and password combinations taken from other hacked sites. Using this technique, they managed to find some username and password combinations that worked on publisher and affiliate accounts. They logged in and withdrew money. Now, regular customers don't store money at DriveThruRPG, and so would not have been affected by those withdrawals. But I think DriveThruRPG are great, because they're paying publishers and affiliates to recoup any money taken in this way. I don't think they had to, because those accounts were accessed with valid usernames and passwords. I suspect they're doing it because they want to do the right thing. Or perhaps they want to have security systems that would shut down that sort of brute force attack that the hacker used. The busy team at DriveThruRPG were not the only people dealing with cyber nasties this Halloween. The software giant Adobe had a breach too. In this case, Adobe had an insecure server online which allowed anyone to take a look at certain customer details. 7.5 million accounts in the Adobe Creative Cloud have been put at risk. If hackers have found this data, then they don't have bank details but they could create compelling phishing emails, and so you should be on high alert. Adobe Creative Cloud is the package that many game designers and illustrators use, as it contains software like Photoshop, Acrobat, and InDesign. Those two stories are one of the reasons why, for Halloween, Geek Native showed the 90-minute long Slaughterbots short film. You can call Slaughterbots a sci-fi film for now, If we had better batteries for our drones and more accurate face recognition software, then the horror that unfolds in the movie would be possible today. I won't spoil the plot, but in Slaughterbots, a tech CEO unveils clever little drones that attack enemy soldiers by crashing into their head and detonating shaped charges. Simple, but deadly. I think that story leads on to Escape the Invasion. Not just because Escape the Invasion is a game of survival, but because it's a solo LARP that uses old technology. You know, old technology like paper and cardboard. Now let me explain. A LARP is a live-action role-playing game, and if you can concede that you don't need a witness for you to take on the role of a character, then what do you need to do to have a LARP? Have props and a physical presence? Real things? Live things? Stuff you can touch? That's what you get from Escape the Invasion. They mail you a box of mysteries every month, 
and they're all part of a game world controlled by a team of writers come game masters and you respond with how your character is reacting to the puzzles and problems you personally solve with the clues. You don't get to roll for intelligence. That sounds like it might qualify as a solo LARP to me. A more traditional role-playing game you can play by yourself that Geek Native looked at this week was To Hell and Back Again. This is a more familiar turn-to-page X style of gamebook when it comes to solo play. However, To Hell and Back Again uses D&D 5e, making it a Dungeons & Dragons game you can play without a DM. It's also an unofficial prequel to Wizards of the Coast's Descent into Avernus storyline. I got to talk to one of the game's co-creators, Donathan Fire, and one of the questions I got to ask was around keeping solo RPGs fun. The response, and I'm paraphrasing here, is learn how to put yourself into the mindset of villains as well as characters. When you're playing a solo game, you have to be both the hero and the bad guys. One of the challenges you don't have in a solo RPG is making sure everyone is on the same page. You're unlikely to contradict yourself. If that happens in group-based RPGs, someone might think that they describe their PC moving forward to guard the top of a passageway, but perhaps another player took that to mean the hall ahead of the party, not the one they had just cleared. The more characters involved and the more frantic the scene, then the more likely that sort of confusion is to happen. Combat is a good example of this, as well as being a terrible time for retcons to strike. Some gaming groups use minis and battle maps to solve this problem. Physical tokens on the mat show precisely where PCs, NPCs and monsters are. And we've had two huge battle maps on Geek Native this week. The first is the Forever Dungeon concept, shown off by Tana Yarrow of Yara Studios. This is an impressive sheet of paper that's too long to fit into a, a single real room unless it's wrapped between two rollers. When it is, that means players can see the dungeon corridors scrolling by, but players don't get to see what's coming up in areas that their characters have not yet explored. The Forever map is just a proof of concept. Tana Yarrow is right now fulfilling a million dollar Kickstarter for a book of high quality battle maps that can lay flat no matter where they are in the book. The other giant dungeon featured on Geek Native this week is over 2 million square feet of area for PCs to explore. And it's free. Zat Nicotel's Dungeon Dimensions can be downloaded from the site right now. You'll get access to a series of graphics optimised for the virtual tabletop, with or without grids, which can be printed out too. The maps are designed so that they can be lined up and create a mega dungeon. It is incredible work for anyone to do and then give away for free. Montreal-based Tuku must also be doing great work. They had been working on a digital Dungeons & Dragons game. Wizards of the Coast must have especially liked something about it, because they've bought the whole company. That's right. Now Wizards of the Coast have their own in-house capability to do more computer games. This purchase happened about a month after D&D Beyond, which is an important part of Wizards of the Coast's digital ecosystem, but not actually owned by Wizards of the Coast, bought their own role-playing game system. Fandom, the company behind all those geeky wikis, including Wikia, bought Cortex. Cortex is the game system used in RPGs like Firefly, Battlestar Galactica, Smallville and Supernatural. We can only speculate if the two are connected. However, buying a whole gaming studio in only a month would be an incredibly quick purchase.
It does show the importance of digital in previously table-bound games, though. The other big D&D story we had for you in Geek Native was an interview with Brad Ellis. He is the CEO of Wyvern Gaming, the company that persuaded MGM to give them permission to create a new Stargate RPG based on 5th edition rules. I noticed that some people thought using D&D to power Stargate, so to speak, was a bad choice. And so I put that question straight to Brad. He had a good answer, and it included the observation that D&D is nicely balanced between easy to pick up and to play and being crunchy. He also shed light as to where and when the Stargate RPG will be set. Heard about Stargate Phoenix? That connects into SG-1 when some of the alien races started to bond together to fight against the system lords. The game will also introduce a new alien into the Stargate mythos, the Acturen. Of course, it's not all D&D in the world of role-playing games. This week, we had a guest post from game designer Michael Adinson, who created the game The Curse of the House of Rockwood. Writing for Geek Native, Michael suggested eight other innovative horror RPGs that might tempt you during the Halloween season. It's a broad choice of games. There's a cosmic horror game, Lovecraft-esque. There's 1,000-year-old vampire. There's the Free League Tales uh, Tales from the Loop Horror, which has a Stranger Things vibe. And in a similar vein, there's the Kids on Bikes RPG. There's the game Murderous Ghosts, which came recommended. As was Dread, the horror game that uses Jenga Tower rather than dice to build tension. The sci-fi horror RPG Mothership was listed, as was the existential horror Gentleman Bandit Dark Highway. Now you can read about these eight games and discover Michael's bonus choice over on the blog. It's worth noting that many of these games are from micro-publishers and only cost a few dollars. They're the sort of game where someone buying a copy could be the highlight of the author's weekend, but yet there are also some blockbusters in that list too. Speaking of blockbusters... Here's some breaking news on the final story before we finish up with Roll20's data. Marvel have announced a sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's the animated feature film which seemed to impress pretty much everyone. We have a bit of a wait though, as it won't be ready until 2022. Now, let's quickly talk about Roll20. The data I'm looking at is the percentage of campaigns played in Roll20 this quarter. D&D 5e dominates with 45% of all games played using that system. Call of Cthulhu is in second place with over 18%. And now that's a big gain for Call of Cthulhu, as the data that Roll20 previously released showed that the horror game only had 9%. Chaosium is clearly doing something right, and gamers are willing to give the 7th edition a try. But what's missing? There's no sign of Savage Worlds in the top 10, And that's a contrast from the Fantasy Grounds data, which had Savage World games, and there are many, as a persistent feature in the top five. I wonder why that is. Is it different demographics between Fantasy Grounds and Roll20? I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comment section on AudioXP's accompanying blog post. Well, that's a wrap for now, and thank you for listening. We'll catch up next week.